This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at WPDavidV, and you can subscribe to Press This on Red Circle, iTunes, Spotify, or download the latest episodes at WMR.FM. Before we kick off with this week's guest, I want to let you all know about a special event WP Engine has happening on April 20th called Decode. It's a virtual event for WordPress developers. If you'd like to check it out, please visit events.wpengine.com forward slash decode 2022. All right. Well, enough of that. Now to kick us off, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, a topic I actually don't know a lot about, uh, really interested in learning more, and that is uh, around persuasive design patterns and how you can use those to help drive engagement on the WordPress sites you build. And joining us for that conversation from 3.7 Designs, I'd like to welcome Ross Johnson. Ross, welcome to Press This. Thanks so much for having me on the show, David. We're huge fans of uh, WP Engine uh, at the agency. Um, and fans of the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to learning more today for those listening. Uh, Ross is going to share his thoughts on creating persuasive design patterns, kind of what they are and how to create or how he creates them, why they're so helpful at driving engagement, and how you can think about the notion of persuasive design in the sites that you create. So Ross, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask every one of my guests. Uh, you might remember it from your WordPress.org uh, profile account questions, uh, but briefly tell me your WordPress origin story. When was the first time you used WordPress? So yeah, I found WordPress in, I believe it was 2006, and I was doing, I was essentially a freelance designer at the time, and um, somebody had randomly found me uh through Google search and uh, reached out and they, they wanted help kind of setting up a handful of different 
um, platforms. And I think one of them was like um, PHP BB, like a bolt, uh, bolt board, uh, open source bulletin board solution at the time. And he also said, oh, I want to set up a WordPress blog. And, uh, you know, I, I had heard of the name in conversation before, but never really looked into it. And being kind of a, a struggling freelancer at the time, uh, I just kind of said, yeah, sure, I, I can do that and figured that I'd be able to figure it out. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what was the impetus to, to dive in and, and try and, you know, figure out how to install it. And it, very specifically, he needed some help with styling, which luckily I knew CSS well enough where uh, I could help with a lot of those things. And um, from did, it, there, did it take you five minutes to install it when you learned how the famous five minute install? You know, I, I believe if I'm remembering correctly that this was before the five minute installed. So like I still had to use, you know, FTP and figure out, I think it was probably the first time I'd ever set up like a MySQL database, you know, through cPanel. So it was definitely more than five minutes first time through, but I, th I think even then, you know, it wasn't too hard for somebody willing to go through some trial and error. Oh, it's interesting. I have a, a like a timeline of uh, major WordPress events kind of up in front of me, and I actually don't have the five minute install on there. But it seems like in 2006, that would have been an exciting time to be joining in the WordPress community, kind of right after themes, but right before widgets and short codes and things like that. Um, and it's certainly before custom post types, but it sounds like you were kind of doing design freelance and development work already. And so uh, it was just a new tool that kind of landed on your desk from a client. Yeah, exactly. And what I loved about it from that point forward is now I had this option that I could give clients the ability to like edit their own text uh, on the site, which before it was one of those things they emailed me every time they needed to add a comma or a period, which, um, you know, is money in the door, but not all that exciting. Uh, there was still more work once you gave him the ability to edit, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that never quite goes away. Remember that with Gutenberg? Everybody's like, there's not going to be any work for freelancers anymore. I'm like, oh, yeah, there will. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Uh, so tell me about 3.7 designs. Like, what, what do you all do and, and what do you do there? Yeah. So, um, like I said, you know, it was founded actually in 2005. I was... Um, but prior to 2005, I, I was kind of doing like freelance IT work for local businesses here in southeastern Michigan. And um, at, at that time, you know, when I started actually kind of in the late 90s, uh, if, if you were doing something with the computers, then they also were like, hey, you know how to do web stuff, build us a website. Um, and so that always seemed a lot more interesting than the sort of things that I was studying in college, which was you know, social science business. Um, and at some point I just decided I would rather do this than try and get quote unquote a real job and, and put more emphasis behind the freelancing. And um, yeah, kind of started doing that full time by the time I graduated. So started in, in 2005, really was focusing on, on websites because I, I kind of saw like everybody else in the area was doing more like online graphic design, like everything was kind of like a brochure. And I learned about usability and accessibility through a podcast, the, the Boag World podcast, which had been around for, has now like I just ended, but it had been around for like, I don't know, 15 years, maybe longer. Um, and they're talking about these things that seem really interesting. And so I figured I could create a more comprehensive site for the people local. And we've really kind of slowly grown over the years intentionally, you know, we never really wanted to be, you know, a massive company. Um, so I met my wife who um, was also a local freelancer, we got married, didn't make sense to have competing companies. Uh, so we merged and now we've slowly grown to about eight people total, uh, 
we've also expanded our services where now we're more of an inbound marketing company because we realized you can only help people so much if you give them a website and say, good luck, see you later, hope you know how to use it, um, hope you know how to get people to it. And so over the years, we're, we're now kind of focusing on how do we get the right people to the site and then also what happens once they get there? How do we try and encourage conversions and you know nurture people towards having sales conversations? All right. Very interesting. So I'm glad to hear it's interesting to hear you kind of have like the the notion of freelancing and design as kind of the the core of your family in a way. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah. I also got at one of these internet jobs knowing computer words in the late 90s. So I'm very familiar with that backstory. <laughs> um, so yeah. let's talk about like you mentioned, like part of your focus is is getting folks to the door and then convincing them kind of to take action at the door. And obviously that's the part we're focused at here. So could you help everyone understand like what are persuasive design patterns and how do they differ from traditional design approaches? Yeah. So the way that I like to think about it is uh, there's kind of almost like six different, I call them layers, but kind of six, six different kind of core aspects of the big bucket of design. Um, so the things that you're trying to, I guess, address through design, and those are um, functions. So like, why does whatever it is you're designing exist? And this is kind of like the most basic thing, like a pen that you can't write with isn't well designed. Uh, and then reliability, a pen that doesn't work very well, very often isn't all that, all that useful. And then usability, which I think, you know, kind of we all understand. Uh, and then moving into kind of some higher levels of proficiency, like does it actually make you better at what you're trying to accomplish? And the example I like to give is, you know, a park bench is perfectly usable, but you probably wouldn't want to work sitting on a park bench for like eight hours where like a really nice ergonomically designed chair could actually help you focus longer. Uh, and then communication, um, what is whatever you're designing telling you? Um, and then emotion, what's kind of like the emotional resonance or like how does it make you feel? Um, you know, whatever it is you're designing. So I think traditional design really kind of focuses more on those like first one to three, maybe four layers, like the basics of, you know, it's doing its purpose, it's reliable, it's usable, where persuasive design is more focusing on kind of those last two to three. Um, so it's focusing less on how well does this function and how and, and more so on how well does it connect, motivate and inspire. So it, it's kind of trying to um, use design to, to connect with people on more of like an emotional level and communicate the right things to, to persuade them to take the actions that you're hoping them, hoping that they take. Okay. So thinking about that, then it sounds like, like, as I think about these notions of persuasion and communication and emotion, I'm thinking in the realm of content. And so as I think about that then and, and try to understand it from like, say a design perspective, I guess what I don't really fully understand is maybe the connection between say the content and the design approach. So I'm kind of curious uh, what your thoughts are there, but we're gonna take our first break and we'll be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. This is your host, David Vogelpohl, talking with Ross Johnson about persuasive design patterns. Ross, right before the break, you were explaining there were kind of six aspects of traditional design, and you felt that you feel that persuasive design patterns mainly approach it from the communication, emotion, and proficiency side. 
And I kind of dropped this bomb right before the break where <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand how, you know, the kind of content side of, of persuasion, communication, and emotion connects to the design side. And, and I'm just curious how you think about that. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really important question. And it's, it's kind of this actually an aspect of design that I like to talk about. I think sometimes the confusion um, arises from this perception that design is about how it looks, where design is really about trying to define a problem and then um, creating an approach to try and solve that problem. So in my mind, you know, messaging and content and design are all integrated. So I'm not a great writer, I'm not a copywriter, but a lot of the work that I do in design actually does involve what content and what messages need to show up and where. So if you think about designing a homepage, for example, sure, there's some element of figuring out the look and feel and the tone, which does communicate. But a big part of that is trying to understand and prioritize what needs to be said and where. And then there is a design element of you know, how do you treat that little, those different pieces of content? So okay. you can kind of, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So you can kind of think, you know, it, if you're doing kind of a really comprehensive design, this is almost like kind of like a wireframey sort of stage where you're blocking out, you know, what is the strategy for this page? You know, how can we design structure this page to achieve the objectives to, to kind of move people along um, and persuade them to, again, take those actions that you want them to take. Uh, before you're getting to kind of the visuals and look and feel. Okay, so there's a connection there, obviously, from the copy to the design in terms of what you're surfacing, emphasizing. And so that's how you think of those connections. And then it sounds like, you know, and it makes sense, right? When when most people focus on design projects, they, they focus on the functionality um, to, to a degree, the reliability, and, and certainly the usability. And I can see where a lot of teams stop at that. Now, I always love talking about design topics on a podcast because, you know, you can't show visuals and examples, but, right. you know, maybe you can help people uh, try to paint a picture in their head um, of some examples of persuasive design patterns that you've experienced to be effective. Like what, what's a real world example of this that, that you could share with us? Yeah, so... Um... You know, I think a lot of these people, maybe in hindsight, will have seen a lot of or maybe even using. And so a lot of this, you know, being a good persuasive designer is kind of knowing when to pick the right things. Um, so I'll give some examples just to give some context. But uh, something as simple is displaying authority. Uh, we're kind of naturally um, have evolved to respect and trust signals of authority. You know, it's why, you know, uh, police officers wear uniforms and, you know, military, why uniforms are so effective. Um, even just, you know, designing patterns to, to kind of convey that authority, whether it's like badges or awards or that sort of thing, um, certainly conveys authority. Reciprocity is another big one where um, by giving people something of value, they actually feel obligated to give back. And a lot of times they feel obligated to give more than they received. Um, there's scarcity and urgency. It's kind of another often looked down upon uh, sort of sales tactic, but it works. You know, I've got a friend who um, sells a very popular WordPress plugin and they did some tests, you know, having the countdown timer and not having it and it and like the differences are dramatic. Um, social validation. So we, we tend to um, really overvalue what other people do and kind of want to be a part of that. So just showing that a lot of people like this, a lot of people think this is a great thing, tends to be very persuasive. 
Uh, and then a couple other that I really like, the halo effect is this. Is our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's kind of a really great um, example of um, just visual design and you know the quality of design making uh, a big impression. But that's where your first you tend to overvalue your first impression. So you know you hit one website and it looks very well professionally designed. You kind of get a good impression. This looks like a credible company. That's going to impact how you feel about that company or that website moving not only moving forward but upon repeat visits compared to one that looks a little less professional. Um, it's going to affect it in a negative way. And then priming, um, which is a great one where it's like the first point of data that you see, again, you tend to then compare other points of data based on that. So like a really high number will kind of prime you to think in higher numbers and a really low number will think prime you to think in really low numbers. And this is why a lot of times on, you know, pricing tables, they'll draw the most emphasis or put like the largest number on the left. So you see that first, it feels really big and kind of shocks you and everything else feels small in comparison. So a lot of the things you mentioned and those examples were very easy to picture. Thank you for that. Obviously, are kind of, I don't know, maybe like top 10 items, if you will, for, for the craft of conversion rate optimization. Are you, you think this is two sides of the same coin or do you feel like persuasive design stands alone? Yeah, I think they certainly are, are related. Um, you can use persuasive design for specifically driving conversions, but I don't think it's... I think conversion optimization is maybe a little bit more narrow. Like there's this very specific thing you're looking to do where persuasive design, there's no reason you couldn't use these same sort of things to try and do something bigger, like just convince people of a certain idea that you have. Um, maybe you're trying to do something for social good and you just want to spread that message. You could use persuasive design for that too. Okay, I got it. So those are the approaches of persuasive design are helpful in CRO, but also transcend it, even if you don't have a specific quote conversion you're optimizing for in, in the kind of A-B testing way, I guess. It makes sense. Um, so how do you choose or identify which persuasive design patterns to use in a particular design? Are you researching the audience, something else? Yeah, I think a lot of it really does come down to audience research, because um, the wrong pattern won't work and the right pattern at the wrong time won't work. 
Um, so I, I'll kind of back up a little bit and say that, you know, these patterns, they, they tend to be innate, innate in human nature. Like we have evolved and conscious thought has only been around for a small period of time. So a lot of our decisions and behavior actually is influenced by kind of these deeper areas of our brain, like our limbic system and a reptilian brain, which is kind of based on emotion and, um, kind of, uh, uh, sharp reactions. That's the scarcity, that's the brain. Uh, affecting the scarcity part, I would imagine the, the lack of resources or perceived lack of resources. Yeah, exactly. And actually, you know, a lot of those patterns that um, I was talking about kind of all ties back to some sort of survival mechanism. Like you, you trust the people in authority because they're more likely to be able to protect you. Social validation, you're more likely to survive if you're part of a bigger group. Um, certainly scarcity, um, you know, the halo effect, you're, you're more likely to survive if you can make a good quick judgment about the safety of a situation. So it's funny how really kind of it all boils down to these things. Um, but you know, every pattern doesn't work in every situation. So you have to do the audience research to understand what is the emotional state that somebody's in when they're coming to your website. Um, what's the emotional drivers, you know, like deep down, what is driving them? You know, if you're trying to motivate someone who's fear of lose, like they're in a situation where they're fear of losing something and you're trying to motivate them uh, or persuade them using something that's maybe a little bit more optimistic, you know, there'll be a mismatch there and it won't work. Um, and just kind of understanding, you know, what's the whole buying process because they might visit your website, you know, five or six times. So you kind of have to use the, the patterns at the right places. So, you know, what we end up doing is creating what we call buyer models, which are, are similar to buyer personas, but we try and make them, you know, a little bit more focused on kind of the emotional state and understanding the thoughts and feelings and, and anxieties um, that the target audience has. And, and we use kind of some very well-known user experience um, design methodologies like jobs to be done statements, empathy maps and journey maps, uh, which you could look up online if, if you're not familiar with those. It's, it's kind of just a technique for trying to distill your understanding of, your, of the target audience into um, kind of more comprehensible formats. I love how you called out really understanding their emotional state. I remember just working with design teams over the years and I would say, okay, what was the person doing right before they came to this page you just made? And they were like, well, they clicked on an ad. No, no, no. I was, what are they, what were they doing? What were they feeling? What were they thinking? And I feel like you end up at least anecdotally creating better content, converting content, things like that. Um, when you, when you focus on, um, you know, what that person's trying to achieve, not just from like a job to be done perspective, but also like, what, what are they trying to do? What's their mission in life? And how is your thing helping them achieve that outcome? Um, I think it's really interesting. I also uh, liked hearing about your notion of the way people's brain affects the way they respond to our designs. Um, a buddy of mine, Roger Dooley, wrote a book called Brainfluence that, that goes deep into this um, and is some, something certainly that rings true, um, thinking about these, this notion of persuasive design patterns. Um, so what I'd like to understand more though, is this notion of like the persuasive design patterns and like, do they work on everyone and, and how might you think about them in different situations? But we're gonna take our last break and we'll be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. We're in the middle of talking to Ross Johnson of 3.7 Designs about persuasive design patterns that drive engagement. 
Ross, right before the break, you were talking a little bit about how you identify which persuasive design patterns to use. You talked a lot about you know, audience research and understanding their emotional connection. I'd like to kind of go back though to this notion of design patterns and like, do they work on everyone? I know like in my own design projects over the time, we think like, oh, this is to a developer audience. They won't be moved by this kind of thing. It would be rather this kind of thing. And, and do you think that persuasive patterns kind of quote work on everyone or do you really try to truly tailor your use of them based on the audiences you target? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, um, to some extent, in the right situation at the right time, they definitely have an influence on everyone. Um, now, that doesn't mean that it's going to inspire absolutely everybody who consumes them or sees them or, or interacts with them is going to act. But um, used properly, they, they, they will have some measure of influence. And, and this kind of goes back to, um, you know, the software that's running on our brains is still really, really old. You know, we've only kind of uh, a evolved in this place where we don't have to worry so much about our day-to-day -day survival really recently. And so a lot of our, our behavior is heavily influenced by unconscious and semi-conscious thought, which then bubbles up and kind of influences us to, to make a decision. And we, we justify it later using logic. So even though it was kind of more of an emotional decision, we use logic after the fact to say, oh, the reason I did it was, you know, X, Y, and Z. And you can think about this probably in your own life. You know, the last time you made a really big decision, you're changing your job, you're buying a house, you're going to start, you know, a new relationship, maybe, you know, getting married, that sort of thing. Really, it probably came down to like a gut feeling. You might have like weighed one option or the other um, very carefully, but really the decision was made by what felt right. And that feeling right is kind of that emotional stage. Um, and I think, you know, there's, you can see this in kind of these universal patterns just in, in humans in general, like, you know, we're, we're drawn to big, bright, open spaces with far views and high vantage points. We like being near fresh water. Um, you know, the feeling of being a dark, cramped space is pretty universally scary, where we all enjoy nostalgia, and we tend to fear losing something more than we have a desire to gain it. Again, not like absolutely 100%, but um, pretty universal. So this resonates and definitely understand it, but I think of this notion of a designer sitting down and thinking like, okay, people will respond to this, people will respond to that. And it's almost like brain hacking. And of course you mentioned quote, feel right earlier. And I could see where this could start to cross the line for maybe feel wrong, but how do you think of the ethics in, in persuasive design and, and thinking about leveraging these human behaviors to drive an objective? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a really great question. And I think, you know, like anything, there's, there is an ethical element to it. And I think you need to be careful about your decisions. And, and there's certainly you can use these patterns um, in unethical ways. And I think the, the common example we've probably all run into are dark patterns where you get that pop up and it's, you know, you can't hit cancel. It's like, you can only hit no, I don't want that. Um, which kind of creates this, you know, slight discontent and, and those sort of dark patterns, I think are using it in an unethical way. Um, but I think you can use them in an ethical way too. And, you know, the caveats are, it, it's not mind control, you know, it's really kind of about influence. You're trying to influence and, and really kind of connect with people at their more deep emotional level, um, rather than trying to just have more generic messaging and generic structure to your pages. Um, and I'd also say, you know, don't work on anything you don't believe in or ethically agree in. Like, I think that's, you know, outside of using these patterns, if you're kind of designing 
a site for something you don't believe in or doesn't gel with you ethically, then, then that's kind of a bigger problem. So part of it is just the nature of design, right? It, it needs to have font that's readable. It needs to have information that's called out and, and, and in, in order to persuade someone to do something. And so that's just part of its nature. And then the second piece is think about what you are using those techniques to achieve and whether that, that fundamental thing you consider to be ethical. And then it sounds like the third piece of that for you is this notion of just flat out doing things that are, you know, maybe uh, not good for the user, or not, not good for maybe commercial sense or even legal sense, I guess, in some contexts, this notion of dark patterns where you're providing people paths that aren't really paths and are self-serving and maybe disingenuous. Is that about right? Actually, you know, one of the ways that we kind of think about design at the agency is there's kind of an, an overlap of, of desires. You know, there's the business objectives or the reasons why you're designing a website or have a website to begin with. And then there's the user needs. You know, what are they trying to get out of landing on your website and what are they trying to accomplish in their life? And what we've seen is websites tend to be most effective when you can kind of see where that overlaps. How does this benefit both groups and kind of prioritize, you know, that kind of overlap? And I think that's the way to think about persuasive design patterns too, is it's kind of identifying that, that overlap and understanding what the person's going through so that you can better walk them through and communicate how this solution is going to help them solve that problem. Um, so well, it's, think, it, it's kind of thinking about both sides. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great kind of overarching point to end on really understanding the user and where your goals, their goals overlap and how your designs can help them to achieve that. That's wonderful. Thanks, Ross. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks so much. Of course. Thanks for coming on. And if you'd like to learn more about what Ross is up to, you can visit 3.7designs.co. As a reminder, you can check out WP Engine's virtual decode event on April 20th. You can register at events.wpengine.com forward slash decode dash 2022. Thanks everyone for listening to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. Again, this has been your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. 
Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.